tired of losing money in the stock market roller coaster? Frustrated with the government taxing you into oblivion? Worried about inflation? How do you prepare for so many financial uncertainties? Welcome to the show that will help you develop your game plan. The Financial Quarterback with Josh Jelinski. Josh is a noted financial advisor and president of the Jelinski Advisory Group. And he's here to answer your questions. Call into the show at 800-321-0710. 800-321-0710. Now, let's kick off your financial future. Here's Josh Jelinski. Hi, everybody. This is Josh Jelinski, the financial quarterback, and we are with Ed Collins, entrepreneur and CFP, specializing in tax planning and generational wealth building strategies for entrepreneurs. So, Ed, welcome to the program. Describe your background for our listeners and viewers just uh, tuning in who are not familiar with your work. Josh, first and foremost, I just want to say thank you. Uh, I appreciate everything you're doing for you and your audience because at the end of the day, you're creating a, a platform by which people can actually take their life and their business to the next level. And that's essentially what I do every day. Um, my background is pretty diverse. Uh, I'm a, a serial entrepreneur. I've built and scaled multiple businesses. We currently own nine businesses at the moment. Uh, built and scaled each one up to and through six and seven figures each over the course of the past uh, two and a half decades. <laughs> been a little while I'm dating myself, but uh, it's been an adventure. Um, I have a diverse background. Most of our businesses are in the area of finance. I own a private wealth management firm. I own an accounting firm. I own a fractional CFO company, uh, bookkeeping services, etc. Um, I own a coaching business for business owners who are interested in figuring out, one, how to start a business, and two, if they operate a business, how to take it to the next level through scale and, and tax reduction strategies. So... Um, and then we have a few other businesses that we throw in the mix that that are more for diversification purposes. But that's uh, that's essentially who I am and what I do. Now, your bio says that you've been an entrepreneur since childhood when you <laughs> opened up your first lemonade stand. Uh, describe yeah. your back, your entrepreneurial childhood. I didn't always think I was going to be a business owner. In fact, when I was a teenager, I got it in my mind that I wanted to go into the FBI. So most of my, my teenage years were focused on just trying to get reasonable grades and go to a good school so that I could graduate and eventually get into the FBI. Um, and my first actual um, entree, if you will, into a career after I graduated was I worked for the United States Department of Justice. Um, but I learned pretty quickly I didn't like working for the government. And uh, I made a switch. Uh, and that's when I started uh, getting involved in finance uh, from an entrepreneurial perspective. I opened my my very first financial planning practice back in 1998. So yeah, 20, 25 years ago. Um, and have built and scaled that up. I still own that business. Um, we're servicing clients in 27 states now. Um, it's, been a, it's been a real adventure. So how did you make the switch from Department of Justice to financial planning? Yeah, so I... Were you like part of the financial crimes unit or something? <laughs> no, no, no. I was actually, I was in investigations. I worked for a division under DOJ at the time, which was called INS, Immigration Naturalization Service, specifically with regard to something called political asylum. It's very boring. It's like, it sounds, sounds sexy, but it really wasn't. Um, but I learned pretty quickly I didn't like it just because of a lot of the bureaucracy that was involved and a lot of the, the stunting um, to problem solving that is just part of the bureaucratic system. And I, I got to a point where I, I 
literally got fed up one day with like the last straw that broke the camel's back type of situation. And I handed in my resignation without having a plan B. Um, but as you could tell, I had always had this interest in money. And I, I took a number of like financial courses when I was in university. Um, but I didn't, I did not have a financial degree. And at the time I, I was a double major, uh, in undergrad, I double majored in history and psychology with a minor in political science and a certificate in government service and administration, which just basically meant I, I had no free time. I constantly was uh, doing work for school. Um, but I had always had this interest in finance. So when I handed in my resignation, I got this idea that I could go around and I started going around to local libraries um, around the state of New Jersey because that was uh, where I was born and raised. Um, so I would travel around to all these different libraries in New Jersey and I would host uh, workshops to teach people how to budget. Um, and I can remember <laughs> I was, uh, I was charging $5 at the time for attendance and I was spending something like $4.50 per person on like coffee and donuts and stuff. So I wasn't making any money. Um, but one gentleman came up to me afterwards after one of these workshops and asked if he could buy me lunch. And I said, absolutely, 100% because I wasn't really making any money and anyone who, who could afford to feed me, I was, I was happy to say yes. And, uh, the next, I think it was, I think it was actually the next day at lunch, he had, uh, mentioned to me or asked me a question if I had ever given any thought to getting involved in financial services. And honestly, at that point, I had not, I had not even considered it. Uh, but after that conversation, I did some due diligence and I, I ended up opening my first practice in, in September of 1998. Oh, fantastic. And so I see you do a lot of stuff with entrepreneurs with up level, when did you make that kind of transition from financial planning to entrepreneurs? Yeah, I, I well, a lot of our financial planning work focuses on helping business owners. Uh, don't get me wrong, in uh, Collins Lambert, which is my wealth management firm, we, we focus more on uh, a holistic approach to a variety of different clientele, but the primary clients are either senior executives uh, or business owners. And uh, we specialize in helping with them with private wealth management services, estate planning, business planning, and such. Um, but really, in response to um, in response to what happened with the pandemic, a lot of things shifted with regard to my time and attention. And I got, I got more used to utilizing technology and, and recognized that there were a number of business owners who, quite frankly, could not necessarily we're not at the level that they needed the services that I have through the private wealth management firm, but they're positioned just at the right moment in time for them to take the next step in their business to, to get to, to a point where private wealth management is something that is a service that they could, could utilize. So I, I got the idea of creating an environment where I could coach business owners on how to essentially build the business the right way, right? To understand the concepts of profit and what drives profit in a business, how to utilize the profit that that comes in from a business, and how to put themselves on a path that would lead to financial freedom. Uh, because if there's any if there's any freedom that you're going to fight for, I'm a firm advocate that financial freedom is the freedom you want to fight for because it, quite frankly, it leads to all other freedoms. Like if you if you have financial freedom in your life, you have the freedom of health, right? Because at the end of the day, you can afford the right health care. You have the freedom of education. You can afford the right education. You have the freedom of mobility. You can do the things and move where you need to move because you have the resources to do it. So financial freedom became a, a, a heavy focus of mine uh, in light of what happened in 2020. 
Um, and I built uh, Uplevel uh, in 2021. For the past two and a half years now, we've been essentially building this business um, to get to a point where we can help other business owners all across the United States um, take their life and their business to that next level. It's interesting you say that we were doing a show on WOR every Saturday and Sunday at nine for years. And mm-hmm. during the pandemic in particular, we changed ourselves almost to a, uh, you know, it's kind of like a business coaching, but we didn't make any money off of it. So I, I probably should have created a, a business coaching arm Because there were so many business owners who didn't know how to do anything. And we were almost, I was sort of like doing it as a way to kind of put it out there. Then you'll get some back kind of mentality. Um, Because we saw. We do do the same thing. I mean, so we, we do a ton of content for free every single week. I mean, we post like 77 different pieces of content per week. Because the positioning that I take is that I am a media company that just happens to do other things. Like I'm a media company first because at the end of the day, if you if you want to if you want to grow and scale, people have to know who you are and what you do, right? So we leverage social media in order to do that. We leverage our Instagram accounts, we leverage our TikTok accounts, we leverage our YouTube channels, um, all aimed at delivering value first, right? Everything that we do is not like salesy or transactional. It's all content, value content, like teaching people something. Now, granted, on Instagram and TikTok, those segments are much shorter. So I'm trying to deliver a significant amount of value in 60 seconds or less, which is not always easy to do. But then what we do is we also have these supplemental channels like on YouTube, where I may I may teach an exact, like the entirety of a topic, where someone can leave that particular YouTube channel saying, hey, listen, I just learned how to do X, Y, and Z. And I can put it into practice starting now meaning I don't have to wait. I don't have to wait three weeks or do five more months worth of research, et cetera. They actually get to move the needle today. Um, and I do that a lot. A lot of it is um, me trying to give back because I mean, I've been blessed in life. I've had the opportunity to interact with some amazing mentors over, over the years. Um, and mentorship for me has been the thing that has absolutely moved the needle. Like if I have to point to one ingredient to the the milestones of success that I've I've hit over the course of my career, the absolute most important ingredient has been the mentors that I, I've been blessed to either personally know uh, and inter- interact with, or those that I've vicariously learned through, whether that's through books or through podcasts or through uh, attending events where they were presenting topics of of, 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 of particular import to me. Uh, but ultimately, at the end of the day, that's been something that's moved the needle for me. So I try to give back as much as I can. And what you, sounds like you were doing is the same thing. You're 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 leading first with value, and inevitably, when you help people for free, they start saying, "Well, wait a minute! If I got this much value and I didn't have to pay anything, just imagine what I could get if I actually jump into a course or a program or a mentorship environment." Um, and again, our our goal is to try to always over deliver. Um, set the right expectations up front, but always over deliver on those expectations and that you keep loyal, raving fans forever. 
And before we go to the break right now, I want to offer you a special today, the business owner matrix. If you own a business, if you plan on owning a business, we are going to give you a customizable protection savings and growth model free. That's a 45 minute strategy session with me. And as a thank you for coming, you get your very own customizable business owner matrix free. We got to hear from you now. 888-988-JOSH. 888-988-5674. 888-988-JOSH. Tune in to the financial quarterback, Josh Chalinski, this weekend and learn how to protect your financial future in a down economy. Josh and his team at the Jelinski Advisory Group can help you lower your taxes and lower your risk in these uncertain times with a 27-point checklist designed to improve your financial health. Whether you're worried about runaway prices, fear of an upcoming recession, or a stock market meltdown, tune in to the financial quarterback and count on Josh Jelinski to call the play. For a free copy of Josh's book, The Retirement Reality Check, call 888-988-5674. That's 888 888- 888-988-5674 or visit Jalinski.org. That's J-A-L-I-N-S-K-I.org. And we're back. This is Josh Jalinski, the financial quarterback with Edward Collins up leveled as our featured guest. So with the pandemic, what was the immediate point was it like uh i remember we got a ton of questions on like dumb stuff like what's, what was that thing the ppp that was a big PPP. thing yep. that yeah was, that was uh, a lot of questions that came in in that environment that, but- that was a whole uh you know we had a buddy uh jj the cpa who you might be familiar with i'm not that's he a good started, moniker though I like that he started with two thousand youtube viewers went to like a hundred thousand Because we would do, you know, hourly shows with him, just being a resource in the community. But that's interesting that you you made a business, uh, made a business out of that. I mean, God bless you. So uh, what is the first step that entrepreneurs should take? If they're listening. Very first step. Yeah. The very first step anyone should do is invest in themselves. Right. Because. Uh, again, because I also own a private wealth management company, a lot of people always ask me, like, where should I invest my money, right? Um, and the first response I always give is invest in yourself. Because no matter what happens in the markets, the knowledge that you gain can't be taken away, right? No matter what happens to you in life, whether, whether you're talking about divorce, disability, disillusionment of business enterprise, no matter what it is, the knowledge you gain cannot be taken away. So if you invest in yourself, first and foremost, learn concepts of financial literacy, learn concepts of business enterprise, like what does it take to make a business successful? Um, I really don't like the word successful. I try to talk about it in terms of like milestones of success, because at the end of the day, I don't, I don't think you can be full of success. I think there's, there's abundance that exists in the universe because of this amazing system we have called capitalism. Um, capitalism is driven by value creation and Value creation drives money, right? If you create value, money follows. It's a natural byproduct of going out and solving other people's problems. So teaching a business owner those general concepts is the foundational work. And once you learn that stuff, then you build upon that foundation. Like again, if you learn the the fact that if you want to make money, simply solve someone's problem, right? If you go out and solve someone's problem, money is the byproduct of that. If you want to make more money, solve bigger problems. 
Um, and a lot of these sound very, very simple and, and, and they're very, very small concepts. But you have to remember that small hinges swing big doors. And if you learn those fundamental principles, those fundamental concepts, and put them into practice routinely, consistently, without fail, you hit milestones of success. Now, everyone will define those a little bit differently. Like for me, when I was just getting started in business, I mean, anything would have been amazing. Because my first four years in business as an adult was like anything but success. I, I, I pretty much made... I think almost every mistake that could be made in business. I went into ridiculous amounts of debt. I really didn't earn any income. Um, I got to a point where I was, by all intents and purposes, I mean, anyone looking in from the outside that could actually see the reality of what was happening with me um, would have definitely chalked me up as being a failure in business. Um, and the only reason I didn't quote unquote fail is because I'm very, very stubborn. <laughs> I just wouldn't give up. I wouldn't stop. Um, but I hit, I hit my low point, like my, um, my rock bottom about four years into business. I was uh, to the tune of more than 250 some odd thousand dollars in debt. I had, uh, seven credit, 17 credit cards, um, seven personal loans. And pretty much every bill that I had was more than 60 days past due. Um, and my low point came, um, uh, it was a Tuesday morning. It was a little bit after 6 a.m. I, I had just gotten up. I was getting ready for work and I had a knock on my apartment door. I remember opening my apartment door and there were two gentlemen that were standing at my door and they were there to take my car. So they were repossessing my car that morning, which I needed to go to work. I can remember like signing the clipboard. Um, I had the clipboard and I had to sign the piece of paper. I remember having to hand them my key and I remember them putting my car on their flatbed and driving away with it. And, uh, I turned around and went back into my apartment. I walked through my little kitchenette because you can't really even call it a kitchen. It's like a, a small little space. And I had this little uh, round uh, kitchen table, barely enough for one person to sit at. Definitely could not hold two. Um, and on top of that, um, that table were like piles of envelopes, most of which were unopened because I knew what was inside. They were all past due notices. I walked through that kitchenette to the bathroom I remember going to the mirror and looking at myself in the mirror and saying, Edward, like, like, what are you doing? Because everything I was doing was not working, like everything. And um, something like finally clicked in my head. Uh, because up until that point, even though I was a massive failure, I was still arrogant because I did really, really well in school without ever having to try. So I thought I knew everything. Um, and I, I became a real student of the markets, because when I was uh, my financial planning practice, I was focused most mostly on portfolios. And I was very, very good at that. Like I was really good at understanding what what the markets were doing. But I was really bad at understanding how to operate a business. Um, but in that moment, when I was looking at myself in the mirror, this this switch flipped, and I was finally able to like leave my ego in that room, that bathroom. And I when I turned around, and I left, I was finally willing to actually listen to other people, like to, to go out and ask for help, say, okay, listen, I know I find a business owner. They're actually doing something that seems to be remarkably better than what I'm doing. Let me ask them what they're doing and why they're doing it that way and, and have them. Uh, luckily, I, I was fortunate enough to have a number of them actually answer my questions um, and give me guidance. And what I was willing to do was probably like the most important thing. I was willing to literally just do exactly what they said without any question or resistance. 
I literally just heard something and immediately put it into action. And it was remarkable when I did that. Like within a year, I had stopped losing money. I didn't make a lot of money, but I, I hadn't lost a lot of money. And consistently before that, the prior four years, I was losing every year to the tune of like 250 some odd thousand dollars cumulatively. Um, but by the end of the second year after I did that, I had paid off all my debt. And I was, I was living comfortably. Um, and it's remarkable. I can attribute 100% of that to just doing what people who are already where I wanted to be, just doing what they told me to, like literally modeling that behavior. And that's probably a fundamental principle that most business owners need to learn. Like, if you're interested in, in, in getting to where you want to get to, find the people who are already there and literally just model it. The problem is, at least in my experience, and this is, was absolutely 100% true in my case, is that most people aren't willing to sacrifice for the life they want, which means the life they want becomes the sacrifice, right? And once you learn that to be true, you can start to do things different. And it took me it took me four years to do that. So what I try to do um, with the, the individuals I have the privilege of being able to serve is I try to help them understand that in the, in the now, like understand it today so that they can immediately start making the changes that will truly move the needle for them. Um, and once you learn those fundamental principles, those mindset principles, a lot of other things in life just start to flow. It's funny because occasionally I get people, financial advisors who are struggling will call me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they have MBAs from Chicago or Wharton or Harvard. And I don't have a coaching company. Uh, God bless you. Um, and maybe I'll build one. I have a little one, but, you know, not. Um, we're, we're predominantly focused on wealth management, uh, investments, insurance, all that good stuff for our clients. But what what's interesting is whenever I tell these people who are very generally well-educated people exactly what to do, exactly the secret of my success, and I could boil it down to like one thing. I want to know what that one thing was for you that changed that one piece of advice. They don't do it. It's like it's like when uh, in the Gospels, when Jesus uh, yes. was approached by the rich young ruler and Jesus says, hey, you got to sell everything you have or something yes. like that. And people kind of say, oh, that's kind of drastic. Uh, but But that was sort of the cost of discipleship that was the cost of in in a sense what what i the, the piece of advice i give everybody which i want to hear yours was that changed for you nobody wants to do what i tell them to do and nobody ever does what i tell them to do and the guy that i could tell you kind of changed it for me when i was sort of uh i had my period of struggle thank god it was in four years it was about six months to a year racked up about i want to say 60 to 70 grand of credit card debt and then it was similar. It was like a four-year progression to success. Uh, and every really successful person typically has some type of journey like that. The guy told me a very simple thing that was very hard to do. But my mind went to, well, how do I achieve what that guy set out? And I would say 99 out of 100 people, because I'll get these people, they call, I worked for Guggenheim. I did this. I did this. I was so smart. And I'll say, this is what you do. No, qu-. And after a while, it's funny, you, you mentioned sort of this blind uh, obedience almost to what they said. 
That is so critical because if you want to be successful, like the first four years of business, you don't really have time to question. Doesn't mean you can't be discerning, but you really have to follow a path of sort of like massive action to get the roller, the boulder kind of moving uphill before you push it downwards. Cause it's so hard to start a business. What was that piece of advice for you? Do you mind sharing that? Like, kind sure, of switched? It, was, it was understanding cash flow. I mean, it came down to, so there, there, there are 10 words that lead to financial freedom. They're very simple words, but even once you hear them, most people will not adopt it. Free cash flow greater than your daily needs and wants, right? Free cash flow greater than your daily needs and wants. And, and when you understand that in all of its evolutions in life and in business, it puts you on that journey to financial freedom. You just have to figure out how to manage that, right? And most people aren't willing to do that because most people aren't willing to pay the cost of the life they want. The, pe- the cost of the life you want is the life you have. You have to be willing to change the things that are currently getting you to where you are now. Because if you don't change those things, you'll just continue to have what you have now. I mean, relatively speaking, it's not magic. It's math. Like everything adds up. Just It just does. So when you understand that, that the, the, the concept of financial freedom is simply having more cash flow each and every month than you actually spend. I mean, that's it. I know it's so simple, but the question is, like, how do you do that? For most people, they either have to drastically cut their spending or figure out how to add enough value and education to themselves so they can go out and demand more revenue generation. They can go out and create more revenue. Remember, money follows value creation. So if you can create value for someone else, money is the byproduct. Like, it, it just, that's the way it works. That's literally the way it works. And because of that, there is there is no lack because money is abundant because it depends on value creation and you have an infinite capability and you, the colloquial you, have an infinite capability of creating value. You just have to build the skill sets within yourself and the knowledge within yourself to be able to do that. So you have to invest the time, effort, and energy. Most people want a quick fix. Most people want, well, uh, what's a pill I can take or what's one particular course I can implement that will literally change my life? Well, there isn't one. I mean, like that shouldn't be a surprise to you. There literally is not one thing. It's the repetition of any one of those things. Because there are, there are a myriad different ways to creating money, right? Like, I, I, I could, when it comes to sales, as an example, I can sell, I, if I want to make a million dollars, I can sell 10 things worth 100,000, or I can sell one thing worth a million, right? It's, it's just math. And you just have to figure out what iteration of it that you want to implement within your own life and then figure out how can I do that? Whether it's in the concept of sales, whether it's in the concept of, of simply being able to connect with other human beings and be able to, to speak and articulate your points of, uh, I, I need a lot of help in that regard sometimes, but be able to, to communicate well with others. I mean, that, that process is a value skill set, but you have to learn it. Some people are, are much more uh, adept at being able to do that. I was not always uh, adept at, at public speaking. I learned some things over the course of my career. I have a lot more to learn, I'm sure. But at the end of the day, being able to, to, to move someone in the direction that adds value to their life 
creates an opportunity for you to financially be rewarded for doing so. And if you can get to the point where your free cash flow is exceeding your daily needs and wants, you are living in a state of financial freedom. But here's the difference. Most of the time, what, what that means is people are trading their time for dollars, right? They're, they're doing something themselves to generate that free cash flow. And what I refer to is if you are in a state of, of free cash flow greater than your daily needs and wants, but you're the one doing it, I call you rich. I mean, you're rich. It's definitely better than being poor. But the problem is you're the one doing it. You're the, you're the one doing the thing which generates the cash flow, which means it is never permanent. Because at the end of the day, if you stop doing whatever it is you're doing, whether whether it's you going away on a vacation, like I was gone for three weeks in Europe over the course of the past couple of weeks, um, my businesses kept going without me. Because it, my businesses don't depend on me to generate the cash flow. I've built the right systems over the course of the past number of decades that the businesses now operate whether I'm there or not. Um, I have assets that are also generating cash flow for me whether I'm there or not. So I've accumulated things over the course of my lifetime. I didn't have them overnight, but over time, they've been able to add to my ability to have financial freedom. Because now, since it's not dependent upon me to generate the cash flow, that's when you can be existing in a state of wealth, right? You're wealthy when you have free cash flow greater than your daily needs and wants, but it's your stuff, your assets that you've accumulated over time, whether that's businesses, real estate, whatever it may be, those assets are the thing that are generating cash flow for you. And that's when you can say, listen, I can go away for three weeks. I can go away for two months. I can do whatever it is. I have true financial freedom because being wealthy has permanence. Again, it's not permanent, but it has permanence because it can be sustained beyond you and what you're doing. Um, so the, the, the fundamental principle for me was just understanding cash flow uh, because at that point early on in my career, I just, I didn't get it. I was spending money because I thought that that's what I was supposed to do. I was spending it blindly without understanding what is the, what is the return on investment that's, that's being assumed based on that, that expenditure. Um, I didn't understand the nature of different types of expenses within business. Um, and now I know that fundamentally for this, for the success of a business, realistically speaking, there should be only two general expense categories. Uh, there should be an expense category that is associated with revenue production, meaning you're spending money in order to literally produce revenue, or you're spending money to support revenue production, right? If you're doing anything else, if you're spending money that does not do one of those two things, you have to seriously ask yourself, well, should a business, which is in the business of making money, should that business be doing that thing? Should it be spending that money for that purpose? And if you can't identify either a direct revenue tie or a supporting revenue tie, you need to really evaluate whether or not you need to be making that expenditure. And if not, jettison it. And if it is something that you absolutely need, well, then you have to figure out how can you, how can you handle that expense in the most efficient way possible, whether that's maybe outsourcing to a, a professional that can, can, can tackle that particular um, task item in a much more efficient and cost-effective manner than you could do in-house. And you have to evaluate those things as a business owner um, because at the end of the day, you're in the business of making profit. And if you're not focused on that day in and day out, then what are you doing? I'm not, I'm not saying don't be callous. I'm not saying be callous and, and don't care about other things in life, but use the profit that you're able to make in business to do those other things. Like whatever your causes that, that you care about are, whatever they are, I'm telling you, if you're wealthy, you could definitely do more. Folks, if you like what you hear, 
Call us right now at 888-988-JOSH. Request, just say the word model, and we'll book you for a 45-minute wealth strategy session for free when you schedule and keep your no-obligation review. That's your PS&G model. That stands for Protect Asset Protection Strategies, Save Tax Saving Strategies, and growth strategies in these uncertain times. So call me now, 888-988-JOSH. I will throw in my book if you call us now. Retirement Reality Check is a free gift. 888-988-JOSH. When you schedule your 45-minute wealth strategy session, 888-988-JOSH. 888-988-5674. Maybe it seems like prices can't get much higher or that the stock market is headed for bear territory. Or maybe you're worried about another great recession. Josh Jelinski, the financial quarterback, can help you protect your family's financial future in times like these. Tune in this weekend to the Financial Quarterback to hear how Josh and his team can help you decrease your tax liability and lower your risk. Call 888-988-5674 to take advantage of Josh's 27-point plan to achieve financial health. And when you call, you'll receive a free copy of Josh's book, Retirement Reality Check. Tune in every weekend to the Financial Quarterback and call 888-988-5674 to receive your free copy of Retirement Reality Check. And we're back. This is Josh Jelinski, the financial quarterback with Edward Collins, Instagram sensation, personal finance expert. And we were talking in our first segment we did with Edward about sort of the mindset of the entrepreneur. Now we're going to talk about some of what your Instagram videos do, your TikTok videos do, kind of the tactical uh issues of kind of saving taxes. Let's mm-hmm. talk about some tax reduction strategies that you teach small business owners. Sure. Uh, I think the first thing you need to understand is that the tax code is merely a recipe book. So if you if you understand that to be the case, your goal should be figuring out what recipes you want to take advantage of and then learning how to put them together in the right order, right? So uh, if, you, if you look at the tax code as a whole, um, and it, the latest iteration, including like all of the supporting material that's provided through regulation and by the IRS, it's about 17,000 pages long. And about 70% of that tax code is oriented towards business owners and real estate. And when you read the tax code and you understand how they deal with real estate, they actually deal with it as if it is a business. So if you are investing in real estate or you are a traditional business owner, about 70% of the tax code is written really you in mind. Um, so the goal is for you to understand how to actually apply that to your life. I teach uh, essentially lots of different tax strategies, but I, I often start with the core foundational five. Um, and the reason I do that is because most of the time, tax strategies are just layering upon one another. Uh, meaning like if you put in to practice one uh, particular aspect of the tax code, you'll likely be able to benefit from another aspect. Um when you layer them, layer them the correct way. Uh, but before you can even do that, it's important to actually structure your businesses the right way. What I mean by that is, if you think about it, the vast majority of businesses have no structure at all. They operate as sole proprietorships, which essentially is just an individual going out into the marketplace and trading their time, effort, and energy in the, the production of goods and or services to the public for, for, for money. Uh, but the challenge with operating as a sole proprietorship is that you tend to 
one, uh, have the least benefits uh, when it comes to taxes for business owners. And two, you substantially open yourself up to major challenges when it comes to um, liability and liability protections. The other thing that a lot of people don't recognize is that when you are operating as a sole proprietor, um, when you're a, when you're accounting for that from a compliance standpoint, um, you're you're and when I say compliance, I'm talking about tax preparation because that's what tax preparation is. It's complying with the tax laws. So the compliance activity um, that a sole proprietor engages in. Um, is essentially taking all of that business activity and funneling it directly to their their individual tax return, their 1040. And that happens through a specific schedule on the tax return called a Schedule C. What most people don't recognize is that if you look at the entirety of the IRS, the vast majority of professionals that are on their audit teams are skilled in dealing with matters related to the 1040. I mean, that's their area of specialty. And a Schedule C is a matter related to the 1040. And if you look at the amount of audits that take place for business owners, everyone has a different statistic that they point to. But um, in general, you can think about the fact that you have up to a likelihood of about a 4% uh, environment where you'd be be audited, meaning 4% of all Schedule Cs that get filed are earmarked, if you will, for uh, a little bit more scrutiny from the IRS. Um, simply reorganizing yourself um, in an actual different way from a structure standpoint can lower your audit risk. As an example, um, if you uh, have elected S-corporation tax treatment, for instance, through an LLC, your audit risks are less than 0.4%. So um, you, you dramatically reduce it. Why? Not because you're doing anything remarkably different. It's There are fewer professionals at the IRS that have a skill set that would focus on a more advanced structure in business. And therefore, since there's less people to deal with those structures, the possibility of audit tends to go down. The probability, I should say, of audit tends to go down. That doesn't mean if you're doing something really bad that you won't get flagged for an audit. It just means that if you're doing things the right way um, and you're comparing apples to apples with regard to a Schedule C filer versus a filer with a more advanced uh, business structure and business entity in place, the one with the more advanced business structure and entity would tend to have a lower probability of being audited. Um, so the first and foremost thing that I try to teach business owners is put the right structures in place. Um, I have a whole matrix that I teach with regard to the ownership of assets. Um, I, I refer to it as hierarchy of ownership. Um, the way I start with is at the top of the hierarchy, I, I utilize trusts, um, specifically revocable trusts for the most part. Um, there is... There is something to be said about utilizing irrevocable trust, but not for the majority of people. So I, I tend to suggest that they consider revocable trust to own everything in their life. Uh, on the personal side, having the trust own your personal assets, like your personal bank accounts, your personal residences, your automobiles, your boats, et cetera. Um, but also to have trust own your business assets. And in the next hierarchy of ownership down, that first business structure that I tend to suggest people consider is something I refer to from a term of art standpoint as a holding company. It's simply a business that is the purpose of the business is to own other businesses. Um, and the structure I tend to utilize there is a, a, an LLC, a limited liability company. Um, and typically that is where I'm also electing um, something referred to as S-Corp tax treatment. Um, 
So the limited liability company is probably the most popular entity form uh, that exists in the United States right now. But most people think that that is like a business from a tax standpoint as well. But the, the, the nature of a limited liability company is simply the legal structure around the business that has nothing to do with taxes. So if you don't tell the IRS how you want to be treated as a tax entity, the IRS will, will actually consider that LLC to be disregarded for tax purposes. And it will uh, essentially look at it as if the, the LLC isn't even there. And they'll look right through that entity and all of the income and expenses associated with that entity will flow through to you as an individual, again, finding its way to a Schedule C. But if you elect S-corporation tax treatment, um, that's where the IRS then will then see the entity for tax purposes. You'll file a different tax return for that entity. It's called an 1120S, which is a business tax return, um, specifically for S-corporation entities or entities being treated as S-corporations. Um, and when you do that as a business owner, you immediately get to reduce your exposure to something called self-employment tax. So a lot of people are, are pretty generally familiar with income taxation, right? So as a business owner, you earn income, you net out all of your expenses, and you're left with a taxable income amount. And that's what you're taxed on from an income tax standpoint. But what a lot of business owners don't recognize or at least realize in the beginning is that they're, you're also subject to something called self-employment tax, which is an additional tax over and above your income tax. And right now, that's taxed at 15.3%. And that's comprised of two types of taxes. It's comprised of Social Security tax um, and uh, Medicare tax. Social Security is at, at 12.4%. And Medicare is at 2.9. So together, that's an additional 15.3%. So let, let's do some basic math for, for people to just help put this into context. Let's assume that you own a business, you're a business owner, and you are either a Schedule C filer, so a sole proprietor, or you're a single member LLC that is disregarded. So it, it has not elected any type of S corporation tax treatment. It's just a disregarded entity, which would then mean you would be also a, a Schedule C filer as well. If that were the case and you earned an amount of money that after all of the business expenses, you were before taxes, your taxable income amount was $100,000. Besides your income tax, you would owe an additional $15,300 of self employment tax. And again, that's 15.3% of $100,000 would be $15,300. If you just, instead of doing that, you had S-corporation tax treatment, what an S-corporation requires you to do is to take something called a reasonable salary based on the taxable income that you generate. And a reasonable salary is up for interpretation, but for like simplicity's sake, let's just assume that you went with a 50% reasonable salary. So in the same scenario, you have $100,000 of taxable income. You take 50% of that as a reasonable salary. That's $50,000. In the context of an S corporation, that $50,000 reasonable salary, that would be the amount of money you would pay your self-employment tax. So instead of 15,300, your self-employment tax would be $7,650. The remaining $50,000 under the S-corporation is going to be considered a dividend 
to you as the business owner, not er not earned income, not self-employment income. So it completely escapes self-employment tax, which would save you, put in the pocket savings for that business owner, $7,650, right? So, and, and the only thing you did differently was file a different type of return. You'd have a different type of entity structure around your business. And that simple change, you can operate your business all the, uh, in every other regard the same way. It's just you're, you're treating your business differently for tax purposes. And that's, that's a, a, an example of a tax reduction strategy that could be implemented. Now, there are some, some practical limitations, right? Because in order to do that, you're talking now about a business tax return, which means you're typically going to involve an outside professional to assist in the tax preparation. So there's some expenses and costs with doing that. There are some expenses and costs with regard to establishing the legal structure and then to comply with, with the ongoing um, filing of annual reports with the state where that legal structure is created. So there is cost to doing this. And the way I, I tend to, to share this with business owners is that if you are in an environment where you have at least $40,000 of taxable income, I'm not talking about the total amount of income you earn, talk about the amount that's taxable. So after all of your expenses, et cetera, if you have about $40,000 of taxable income, the S corporation tax strategy, strategy almost always works from a math standpoint, the math maths, right? At the end of the day, your, your savings outpaces your, your cost for setup and maintenance of that particular entity. So that's an example of a strategy that, that I, uh, I'm almost always going to utilize. And it, it's right at the, the, that middle hierarchy of ownership in what I refer to as the real wealth matrix, because my trust would own the holding company. The holding company is where I'm electing S corporation tax treatment. And therefore, that's where I'm saving, at least potentially, uh, a reasonable amount of money from a self-employment tax perspective. I still have income taxes that I have to contend with, and there are other strategies to deal with that. But I'm, I'm saving on the self-employment side of the spectrum. Uh, which is a, a good way to to start that savings chat discussion. Um, okay. And then below below the holding companies are where operational companies exist for me. And again, that's a term of art. I'm just talking about a, a business entity that is set up for the purpose of engaging in commerce with the public, right? The purchase or sale of goods and services. Um, that happens at an operating company level. I also tend to recommend that be an LLC, a limited liability company. But that is where I want it to be a disregarded entity. I don't want there to be any tax treatment there because I want all of the income and expenses to flow up to the holding company, which is where the tax return gets filed. And then you could have like multiple businesses. Like for instance, in my case, I have I own multiple businesses that are at the operating company level. All of them are single member LLCs owned by the holding company above it. So I don't file tax returns at any of the, this level at the operating company level. I file the tax return at the holding company level, which helps to minimize the cost of compliance, right? So I'm not filing multiple tax returns. I'm filing a tax return only at the holding company level. So that's an example of how you use structure to be able to take advantage of a tax strategy. Uh, before we go to the break, call us right now at 888-988-JOSH to receive your very own Business Owner Matrix Review. You get three gifts for the price of one when you call us right now at 888-988-JOSH and request the word model. Call us right now, 888-988-JOSH, 888-988-5674, 888-988-JOSH. 
Tune in to the financial quarterback, Josh Jelinski of the Jelinski Advisory Group this weekend and learn how to protect your financial future during these turbulent times. Looking to lower your taxes or need help securing your financial future? Then Josh and his team are the people for you. They're experts in financial economics with one mission in mind, to protect you and your investments. From their 27-point checklist to their one-of-a-kind financial quarterback approach, they help you achieve financial health and guide you through the hard times of high inflation, looming recessions, and stock market meltdown. For financial security, call them now, 888-988-5674, and get your free copy of Josh's book, The Retirement Reality Check. And we're back. This is Josh Jelinski with Edward Collins. Do you like certain states better than others for LLCs? I, I do for the holding company. So um, the operational company, in my, my, my opinion, is that it should be wherever the operations are taking place because you're going to need to do that anyway. Like if you, if you live, for instance, I, I bilocate. I, I'm primarily out of Florida. Uh, but I own businesses in New Jersey. I own businesses in Florida. Um, the operations of the company is registered wherever the operations are taking place, right? So for the businesses in New Jersey, that operating company is registered in New Jersey. For the businesses in Florida, the operating companies there are registered in Florida. But the holding company, it is not engaging with goods uh, and services with the public, right? It, it is only owning other businesses, so that's its business purpose at the holding company level is to own other businesses. So I prefer to use a state that has very good asset protection mechanisms built into their state statutes. Um, there are three of them that are, are top of the list for me, uh, Delaware, Nevada, and Wyoming. Um, I have a preference towards Wyoming, uh, specifically because Wyoming is actually the... the, the uh, at the forefront, if you will, of LLC statute and um, asset protection. In fact, Wyoming is the state that actually introduced the limited liability company into existence. That's where the limited liability comes from, the limited liability company comes from. Every other state that has an LLC statute tried to model their statute after what uh, Wyoming put into practice. But Wyoming has made some significant strides towards um, asset protection in a variety of ways. One of those ways has to do with anonymity protection, meaning if you do things the right way with regard to the setup and establishment of a Wyoming LLC, your personal name is never placed onto public record. So you have the ability to, to generally be anonymous to the public with regard to what you own. Um, I like that for asset protection purposes because in asset protection, I want I want to be able to take advantage of everything that I can possibly do to protect myself, my family, um, and our resources from from outside forces, um, litigants, creditors, et cetera. Um, and there's two mechanisms generally to do that. One is the legal structure, right? It's almost like imagining that you have a force field around your business, right? With the right entity structure, a limited liability company, if you operate that correctly, you have the protections of the statute, which prevent your personal assets to be subject to the liabilities associated with that business. But there's another form of asset protection, and that's sort of like a cloak of invisibility, right? So and for all the Harry Potter fans out there, if you can't, if people don't can't see you, 
they don't know to go after you, right? And the concept of anonymity with not having your name on public record, um, no one knows that you own that particular business unless you tell them. Um, so it doesn't mean you would not, or that business wouldn't get sued. It just means that if someone didn't like you and was going after you personally, it would be hard for them to potentially find the things that you may own. Maybe not impossible, but you're creating roadblocks. And that's really what asset protection is all about. It's it's creating enough impediment in the journey of the litigation that you are incentivizing the plaintiff to want to settle with you, right? Because that, I mean, that's really the goal of asset protection. How can I avoid litigation in its full extreme? How can I get that plaintiff to just agree to either drop the lawsuit or to take a settlement in order to drop that lawsuit? And uh, Wyoming has a really amazing asset protection uh, component to their statute. It's called a, a COPE state, a C-O-P-E, which is, it stands for a charging order protection entity state. Um, and then, I mean, it's the statute is really simple to read. You, know, you can go in and read it yourself. It's pretty self-explanatory. But to, to summarize what that means is that if you do cause someone harm in your business, um, you legitimately do, and then they take you to court, they actually win the litigation. Um, the judge in that case is limited with regard to the remedy. The remedy is limited to something called a charging order, which essentially means that if um, that that particular plaintiff gets the permission to stand in front of you for any distributions that are coming to you from your company. Now, you may say, wait, wait a minute, Edward, I don't like that at all. They get to take my money. Oh, no, they get to stand in front of you uh, in terms of a business that you still own, right? They don't, they don't get to take your business from you. They stand in front of you. And as the business owner, you could just choose never to take a distribution. So if there's no distributions coming to you, there's nothing for them to take. And then you may say to me, wait a minute, that doesn't sound good either because now I can't get money from my business. But I didn't say that. I said, you can't, you can choose not to take a distribution. As the business owner, you can choose to pay yourself a salary, which is not a distribution. So you can still get money that way. You may say, well, wait a minute, I don't want to take all my money as a salary. Well, you're still the business owner. You can choose to give yourself a loan from the business. So so there's so many ways um, to to deal with it. And that that reality creates even more incentive on the part of that plaintiff to settle with you because potentially you may never, ever take a distribution and they may never get anything. So you you may be able to, to go to that plaintiff and say, hey, listen, you want X dollars. I'm willing to give you Y dollars. Um, if we just drop this and there could be some significant incentive for them to do that um, through this charging order protection entity environment within the statute in Wyoming. So Wyoming is really good for a lot of purposes. That's one of them. Um, it's also uh, no income tax state, no no uh, corporate tax environment either. So there's lots of benefits uh, to utilizing Wyoming. So that's why I'm a fan. Now, fantastic. We're with Edward Collins. Edward, do you have a book or social media that you'd like to plug? We uh, we promote a ton of free content on social media all the time. Uh, we're on Instagram at Edward Collins underscore upleveled. TikTok is the same moniker at Edward Collins underscore upleveled. We also have two YouTube channels that we give away free content to. Um, YouTube channel number one is called Uplevel Entrepreneur. Um, my second uh, YouTube channel is more like a podcast environment where I'm interviewing other business owners, trying to help people learn vicariously through them. That's referred to as uh, Entrepreneur Unleashed. 
And my goal is simply to try to elevate financial literacy. Because I think that if, if more people understand money as being a tool, um, they will be taken advantage of less. Thanks so much for joining us.